You're tuned in to Brooklyn, USA, an audiovisual love letter sent from the heart of the city. On our weekly podcast, we share intimate, human, New York stories told by the people who live them and report on the world as it changes around us in the voice of the people who are changing it. But this week, instead of our regularly scheduled audio salad, we're serving up a full TV dinner, a collection of stories of resistance and resilience, visions of the future, and scenes from the past. Poetic explorations, viable solutions, and creative meditations on where we're at and where we're headed. So sit back, relax, and get ready to enter another dimension. One not only of sight and sound, but of heart and of mind. And we'll be back on the mic and on the podcast next week, because the revolution will not be televised in Brooklyn, USA. John Henry is a Brooklyn-based visual artist whose work reflects on family, grief, trauma, and healing within the African-American community. His text and photography project, Stranger Fruit, was created in response to the senseless murders of Black men at the hands of police officers, and meditates on the mother-son relationship at the heart of each loss. We interviewed him back in 2018 during a Brooklyn exhibition of Stranger Fruit, and checked back in with him last week to hear how the work resonates now. As I hold my son in my arms, there is nothing strange about him. He is indeed the fruit of my womb, the extension of his father and me, growing, stretching, reaching to the skies. There is nothing strange about him. Uh, my name is John Henry. I'm an artist from Brooklyn, New York, usually working in visual art, typically photography, the project Stranger Fruit began in 2014 and began as a response to the murders of African-American men due to police violence. More than 200 people have been arrested in a day of protest over the acquittal of three police officers and the killing of Sean Bell. The morning of the verdict, those images from the newspaper uh, stayed with me forever. The 23-year-old Bell died in a hail of 50 police bullets the morning of what would have been his wedding day in November of 2006. Later that year in October, my good friend was getting married and I was one of the groomsmen and at the bachelor party that's all I could think of was what if this was happening to him? What if this was happening to us? 2014 was when it actually all came together. 
Stranger Fruit comes off of the Billie Holiday song, Strange Fruit, but it was really the Nina Simone song that I connected with more. Strange Fruit is, um, as they describe, southern bodies hanging from the poplar tree in the antebellum south, basically speaking to lynchings. With Stranger Fruit, people aren't getting lynched anymore, but they're literally getting picked off the street. Lynching was such a common thing, and now it's like these shootings have become commonplace you know, where we've almost become numb to it. Every image has its own uh, story. It's kind of a, just right on a street corner in New Jersey in front of a closed down cleaners. Ebony in the middle with her pink shirt that says awake on it, holding up her son flanked by her two younger sons on each side, one holding his head, the other one supporting his legs all of them staring into camera. One of the things I use in the photo is the gaze, the mother looking into the viewer. Uh, makes it a lot harder to look away. For a, a long time while I was working on the project, something wasn't right. There was still another piece that was missing to make it complete. While I was in Chicago, Nefertiti from Parkchester, New York, she had reposted the image that we made the previous year on Facebook and she had written this amazing poem. I hold my son in my arms, there is nothing strange about him. The second I saw the poem, it was like, you know, I got hit with a bullet. There is nothing strange about him. It just stopped me dead in my tracks, and that instant I knew this was the final chapter of the piece. It was the text, the text from the mothers. There is nothing strange about him. He is my son, he is my soul, and he is beautiful. There are a couple more locations that I have to photograph in before I can really say it's finished. Um, in particular, be in Minneapolis this winter. I just have you know these images burned in my head of the black bodies in the snow, but also Minneapolis, St. Paul is the home of Target. So just thinking of the possibilities with the red bullseye, Texas, Nebraska, maybe you know like a handful of other locations, but. Uh, because, yeah, I could shoot Stranger Fruit forever, but trust me, I do not want to. <laughs> what does justice look like? Um, I really don't know. Um, I mean, just thinking of these these crimes, I mean, there there is no justice. Even if you lock the police officer up for life, that's not bringing somebody's son back. That's not bringing someone's kid back. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what justice is in, in these terms. I mean, it's supposed to be blind, supposed to be equal, but the track record for justice isn't that great. Peace. My name is John Henry, uh, and I'm an artist from Queens, New York. Stranger Fruit is an ongoing project that began in 2014 in response to the murders of African-American men due to police violence. Um, I've been photographing mothers and sons, recreating the motif of the Pieta, um, just showing this, you know, 
idea of sorrow and grief and loss, um, but also hope that the community has to live with on a daily basis. Um, the mothers in the project have not lost their sons, but they understand the reality that this could happen to them if this issue is not properly addressed. And, you know, obviously now in 2020, it really has come back to the forefront with the uh, recent murders of Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, Sean Reed, and of course, George Floyd. Um, it's crazy that, you know, obviously in 2020, we still have to have this conversation, but we do have to have this conversation and we have to, you know, finally have an honest sit down and try to get some type of acknowledgement and get something done. Um, we cannot wait any longer. Uh, you know, 2014 is when the project began, but as you'll hear in the interview, it really began with the Sean Bell trial in 2006 to 2008. You know, these murders continue to happen. We continue to see the footage over and over again, and it's traumatic having to relive these moments. And still, here we are, 2020, still talking about it. And again, it's not just men, even though I'm speaking about, you know, mother and son, a specific relationship. We're talking about black trans lives. We're talking about black women. Everyone is really involved in this and we have to, you know, fight for everyone's rights. And we have to really figure out, you know, how can we make this stop? How can we get to a point where there's some type of acknowledgement and we can get some type of change that is lasting? Again, I'm John Henry and I'm from Queens, New York. Thank you. Thank you.
One of the most exciting aspects of the current movements for black lives and against over-policing is that the protests and actions are largely led by politically engaged young people. And while it's important to listen to and support the generation to whom the future belongs, we still have much to learn from the members of our community who have survived this country's racism for longer than some of us have been alive. James Pop Gaskins, an 82-year-old Brooklynite who lives in East New York, is one such elder who was attacked half a century ago by the KKK in his home state of Georgia. Despite narrowly escaping with his life, Pop is here today to preach peace and unity over vengeance and hostility. Ah, yeah, I can feel that heat. Peace, everybody. Um, my name is James Pop, P-O-P, Gaskins, with the S. Uh, I'm a TV producer, I'm a filmmaker, I'm an artist, I'm a singer, ambassador to the United Nations, um, <laughs> also an activist, and um, you name it, that's what I am, that's who I am. Right now, we are we in Brooklyn, East New York, at my home. This is my house. I haven't had time to get it fixed up, but uh, we don't never have time because the people come first. When people need something, we're supposed to give it to them. They need um, suggestion and advice. This is what we're supposed to be as a human. Like I said, when I was coming up, people who tried to bully me, I let nobody bully me. Back in the days, they had moonshine and homebrew. And a lot of the young people, they would go around, they would get the homebrew, homebrew and moonshine, and they would get the, um, the ganja. And um, I never took anything. They couldn't make me take anything. They couldn't hold me down and put it in my mouth. I came up a march with Martin Luther King one day. We were marching uh, for, for um, the voting rights. And when I, I left the march, I went home to check on my sister and my brothers. And these four white guys was on the back of a truck, pickup truck. They had shotguns and stuff, just like the ones that's down on the, on the island, where I come from, Brunswick, Georgia. But anyway, I was walking, because that time we used to do thumbing and hitchhiking. And I was just walking, just got to march, and these guys was on the truck, and they were like, KKK, KKK, right? And I looked, and uh, I started running. And so when I started running, they started shooting. But I said, wait a minute, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die fighting. But by that time, they shot me in my side, so I played dead. I pretended like I was dead. They came to finish me off, but I was a bodybuilder and I was a boxer, so I was very strong. I was built better than Arnold Schwarzenegger. We used to pick up cars. So when they came to attack me, I knocked the gun out the hand and I knocked them down. But I just took off running. I, threw, you know, I could have shot them, but I didn't think about all that. I was thinking about getting away. Bullets don't hurt like people think they do. It's like a little sting. When I got shot, it's like a little sting. With all the firecracks going on, uh, you know, I hope that's not interrupting what we are talking about or what our intentions are. That don't make sense. Okay, um, y'all may not want to hear this, but listen carefully. The fact and solution of all this chaos that's going on, 
people is human, not human beings. As human, need to, supposed to, and should come together as human. Why should it be jealousy and hatred amongst any different races of another race? Wherein we all live in the same community together. You know, living in the same community, in the same neighborhoods together. And like, for example, when they shot me, if I was really nasty or whatever, I could have killed them when I took their guns from them. So those are things that I think about. These things I know that people don't have to be uh, followers, be leaders. And those are facts. People have respect. Know that love is amongst everyone. If a, listen, y'all, I'm going to say this. Listen, if a cat come up with you and rub you by the leg and stuff, that cat is looking for love. If a dog come up and lick your face, that's looking for love. You go to the, you go to the schools and different things. You go to the college, you see all these mixed races. They ain't thinking about racism. They ain't thinking about judgment and hatred. They're, they're, they're getting friends and things like that. They're dating, they're not dating. That's what they're doing. They're tired of all this stuff that happened back in the days. Stand up and be a leader. Don't be a follower. My family from Wu-Tang Clan. Um, before they became famous, I would take them around and say, this is my son, this is my nephew. But then they would say, oh, here come Pop, here come Pop, here come your Pop, here come your Pop. So they named me Pop. Old Dirty, uh, y'all heard Old Dirty Bastard, that's my nephew. Voodoo Monk, you know, those are my nephews from Wu-Tang Clan. So I gave them a house before they became famous. And so they always would cut up my house and stuff because I had, you know, all these instruments. They would come, they play this and that. And so they're the one who gave me the name Pop. That's how, and so now the whole world know me as Pop. I got one or two call me James, but the whole world know me as Pop. Youth Organizing to Save Our Streets trains young people to become community organizers, peer educators, and violence interrupters in their neighborhood of Crown Heights. On June 11th, the cohort gathered to talk about self-care in the age of COVID-19 and the murder of George Floyd. Uh, I heard a story from someone yesterday. Something happened to their family members, right? Like a natural health issue. And when they called 911, instead of the ambulance pulling up, the cops pulled up first, asking what's the problem. That right there is part of the problem. Like, I don't need cops. I don't need somebody with a gun and a badge asking me, Calm down, sir. Are you okay? What's going on? The cops need to stop showing up when they don't need to be there and stop inciting all this violence and then try to put it on us like we're the ones that start. And no, they start with us. And then when we retaliate, they get scared. Oh, black people are getting upset. Yeah, we're getting upset. I mean, we mad. We've been mad. I feel like cops always try to be the hero like too often, you know? I've been arrested before and it was just like horrible, like, they put the cuffs on too tight just to, like, they be ODing, like, acting like you gonna freaking resist or anything. And then, like, the cop, when he was like, oh, you're under arrest, like, I put my hands behind my back. He gonna say, you used to this. What you want me to do? Like, cops think you liars, like, because you, you know, in there, they judge you based on being in there, like, you know, and it could be for a million reasons. So I just feel like, you know, they mistreat you, and, and then you from that mistreatment is just like you gonna have some type of PTSD when you get out. You're so used to it and your brain adjusts to that type of environment, those type of things.
and then soon enough going through it for years that becomes your lifestyle what are some steps you think people should take to prevent these things from happening to us again I feel like some steps a person should take is just make sure that first you're not a part of the problem. Like a lot of people, they try to fix a problem, but then they're a part of it. So I feel like just make sure that you're not fueling the problem and try to be like the changer. I think police accountability. How many other jobs could you have a track record of, of violence, a track record of breaking the law and still keep that job? I think that's definitely a good point, Heather, for the simple fact of, like, when criminals come out of jail and things like that, they make it extremely hard for them to find employment, to find any type of job. And here we go, we have cops killing people, and nobody's getting punished. They're keeping jobs. If anything, in a couple years, they're most likely probably going to get promoted. And all the stuff that you heard and you know what's going on in the world right now, what do you think we could do to prevent that? There's a lot of things we can do. I think one of the things is starting with this conversation. People really need to hear these stories. People really need to know how young people have been impacted and people will continue to be impacted. I mean, we, we really need to organize for real. Like when you think back about people who was at the center of movements, like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and you know mm-hmm. others, they were very young. They were young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fact. It starts with us. We got we to gotta get together. Like, we're doing something now, but we got to do more. Like, the chokehold has been banned in New York, for those who don't know. It's also illegal in um, Minneapolis. We're trying to get them to repeal the 50A. We all know what's going on. But it starts with you, bro. You, you want your community changed? Get up and go outside and change your community. I think what a lot of you guys are saying is kind of like thinking about what is the difference between reforming a system and abolishing a system. When Eric Garner was choked out, the chokehold was repealed, but they used it anyway. That's why like a lot of people are saying we need to be taking away some of their power, taking away funding, not letting them have all this military equipment. Because as long as that is true, will they listen to what the laws are? Not losing sight that the police is definitely one part of the problem. Let us not stop just at them because there are things in place and people in place that allow for them to get away with a lot of stuff as well. What steps can you take to help solve this issue? What I can do is what I've been doing. Going out and talking to the youth in my community. For a good couple thousand people get together and start doing something, voices are going to be heard, as you can see. Yeah, I think about like a lot of the civil rights um, movements, like Ella Baker, who never gets enough credit, who organized all those sit-ins and boycotts and marches. It was her going door to door, talking to people, exactly like you're talking about. I'm going to use that word again, organize, 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 because there are people who are going to make decisions about how it should be for students and for youth and for other people without really considering what your thoughts are and what your concerns are. For me, it's really been more about like watching where my dollar goes, making sure I keep my friends and family accountable as well, because it's not just me. It's also like the people that I surround myself with. I felt like being out in the streets and protesting was what I was called to do and what I wanted to do and how I would feel like I was getting my voice heard. And that's what I did. And that's what I'm continuing to do.
in the very beginning, I kind of was expecting problems to occur. Like I was almost like bracing myself, you could say. And then like when I was in the class hearing everyone say that it has nothing to do with it, I felt kind of uncomfortable to say, well, actually, like, I do think something is going to come of this. Four teenage girls allegedly assaulted a 51-year-old woman on a BX-13 bus in Highbridge. The girls allegedly made anti-Asian statements during the attack. The suspect drags the senior, pushes him out the door and onto the ground, all while yelling Asian slurs and comments about COVID-19. Every disease has ever came from China, Disgusting. Some important developments in our war against the Chinese virus. Maybe that's a question you should ask China. What, sir, why are you saying that to me specifically? The coronavirus pandemic has blatantly exposed systemic and interpersonal racism. Communities of color have been ravaged disproportionately by the disease and fueled by the rhetoric of the President of the United States and some media outlets, many Asian people have been subjected to harassment and even violence as they've been blamed for the pandemic. Asian Americans, like this 19-year-old college student from Boston, are experiencing what it's like to be on the front lines of the racist response to coronavirus. I got into the class and we were just kind of talking about like the virus outbreak and everything and it was just like how everyone was feeling about it and then I don't remember exactly what she said but it was something like do you want to speak on like the racial outcomes that have like happened in this or like your experiences like what has happened like during this have you dealt with anything and at the time like no and I didn't even know about everything that was going on because I feel like it wasn't publicized yet so I just kind of said like oh I haven't really experienced anything yet but I do feel like there's kind of like a spotlight put on Asian Americans now because people are looking to blame and what was interesting about the dynamics of the class was everyone else completely said, oh no, like this has nothing to do with race. There will be no backlash for this or anything. And I feel like now people definitely know that that isn't true. Even before this, I would often be on guard. Sometimes I would be like, okay, like what am I going to say if someone says something to me? Growing up, there was a lot from my peers and even sometimes like teachers being insensitive and just rude. There was a lot of racial slurs and just like insensitive remarks, like stereotypes, like eating dogs and name calling. And this would happen if I was walking down the hallway just from people who didn't even know me. There was one incident when I was in seventh grade. It was like a math class too. So like this topic had nothing to do with anything, but she started talking about how she doesn't think that the U.S. should keep trading with China and that they're untrustworthy and being like the only Asian American in the class. I felt put on the spot and it was very uncomfortable. I had another teacher who would often confuse me and another like Asian American person in the class and she thought it was funny. Like she would laugh whenever she made the mistake. So it definitely made me not want to speak up or anything. I only graduated with like five other people of color in my entire class. I definitely did kind of feel on the outside a lot of the times. Just all the misinformation that's been spread around, it's just a major problem. And I also think that a lot of people think this is increasing racism. Yes, I think it is, but I also think that a lot of people have always been this way. They're just using the outbreak as an excuse now to like spread hatred. It just worries me that there's been so many people who've been like feeling this way and now they're broadcasting it, I guess. My friend posted a repost on Instagram from another account. It was like talking about like Chinese wet markets or something and she captioned it like disgusting. 
when people post things like that, what they're trying to get across is like their anger towards like what's going on in China. And like those aren't even the people that are seeing these posts. All those posts are doing is just adding towards the hatred and the violence towards Asian Americans here. We've been friends for like 10 years now. And so just to put that on her profile and advocate for that, I definitely think that it affected our friendship for sure. I think that's the problem with a lot of people. Like when we call them out and try to explain what's going on, like they're just like, oh, well, that's not what I meant. And like, I'm just talking about this. It's like, but they don't realize they're contributing to the entire problem. As transgressions against Asian Americans have risen, artists like Kenneth Tam, a Chinese-American artist and educator living in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, have found outlets through documenting their experiences. He's part of Stop Discrimination, a coalition of workers within arts and culture who are confronting the racism, xenophobia, and violence towards diasporic Asians that have been amplified by the COVID-19 pandemic. I was talking to a friend who lives down the street from me. Uh, she's a, a, an Asian woman. And she was telling me on the streets of Bed-Stuy where she was walking with a group of her friends, someone walked by her and just made some sort of passing comment. It was an obvious reference to her being Asian and the fact that she might be spreading COVID. When she told me, I was like, oh, wow, like this is happening to you. I'm sure it's happening to many people in my community. I just said, we should document this somehow. How can we preserve this in some way and share it with other people? The spreadsheet became the obvious form. There was a lot of spreadsheet activism already going around, uh, particularly in the art world. Uh, there was one that was documenting the salaries of various art workers. So it was a way of sharing information, but to empower. Immediately after talking to her, I sketched something up. I wanted to create a space where people would feel comfortable sharing these things because that was the whole problem, right? Like I think that a lot of people experience these racist incidents, but through shame or embarrassment, tend to minimize these experiences. I have no idea how far it's traveled, but it seems like it's gotten around quite widely and certainly beyond just the art world, which was my, my main goal. I know people in Europe have seen it, you know, people well outside of my social circle have seen it. I didn't really have any goals necessarily, just you know that I wanted to have a place where these incidents could exist and that somehow we could learn and be activated. There's been a lot of reporting on this at this point. Of these incidents, they tend to focus on the ones that are the most sensational or the most violent, people getting stabbed or stores broken into, that kind of thing. For, for myself, I think the more sort of quiet incidents, the ones that just sort of happen out of nowhere are the most affecting for me. So, you know, these are the things that like, passing encounters, right? Just walking on the street and someone's shouting something or an encounter you have in a grocery store or um, I don't know, anywhere where there's sort of brief contact and someone just sort of lobs this sort of like racial grenade at you and quickly runs away. I think those are the things that are most distressing, especially when they happen around small children. You know, some of these reports talk about someone being with their child and then all of a sudden this thing like lands on them. And it's really disruptive and that you're just sort of like really disoriented when it happens. And I think those are, you know, very traumatizing in their own way. Yes, Asian Americans or Asians in general are, are being singled out because of COVID. Again, the real reasons why that is happening is much larger and much more systemic than just the pandemic. So I think that it's important to adopt an overall anti-racist position because I think a lot of this does come from the fact that white supremacy pits groups against one another. So right now, it 
you know, it's, it's really important for Asian Americans to also support Black lives and to, to sort of also be in their struggle as well. You know, SDA was founded to advocate for Asian Americans and to come together and form a response to this COVID-related racism. But I think the larger picture is to undo the hierarchies that are created through white supremacy. What I would ask all Asian Americans to do is to not just see the problem as within this one community, but across all communities. Nasli Arby, Nasli Saeed. Prap, prap. Um, 
yeah um once they opened me up in that way um i was able to really just surround myself with more people who knew how to hold themselves and um that emphasized me learning how to hold myself and i'm still learning of course how to hold myself but i feel like the last four or five years is really when i actually started that journey of finding reflections in that way so something that I feel like I've learned a lot in the past like five or six years is like real community is when you find people that are going to love you through your growth point. Yeah, I really pray that my my work and my my the spaces I contribute to creating continues to just like connect the diaspora in terms of like community and safe space because there's so many different people fighting for the same thing um, in terms of creating safe space and that's something I'm really passionate about yeah no I just finished my sentence it was perfect you just came in with the fruit abundance Like a karmic, like a karmic relationship. It's, mm -hmm. it's literally trend, like mm -hmm. alchemy. It's, alchemy, it's alchemy, exactly. Mm -hmm. It is. Queer intimacy. Queer intimacy. They're all just chilling. This is what happens. We create shit when we're together. Mm -hmm. And I told you, I was like, I don't think our work should be individual anymore. I don't think our work should be 
just us like it changes when we're all together when we look at our work together mm -hmm. like because that's when it's like oh shit like is this working or is it not working like your work is so powerful for this mm -hmm. you too. thank you yeah What's up, everybody? My name is Najee Omar, and I have the pleasure of being the artist in residence with Brooklyn's first ever Intergenerational Community Arts Council. The Intergenerational Community Arts Council is comprised of 15 residents from Atlantic Terminal, Farragut, Ingersoll, and other NYCHA complexes that represent the downtown Brooklyn, Fort Greene area. And for the past two years now, the council has been meeting monthly to investigate what it looks like to build community and create opportunities for arts and culture right here in our neighborhoods. What you are about to witness is our poetic response to the pandemic and uprisings that are happening right outside our windows. An opportunity for us to check in with our community, with ourselves, and with you. So without further ado, how's that for a check-in? I'm feeling like now more than ever, we're being forced to show what we preach. I'm nervous and emotional and unsure. When will we go back to normal? How am I feeling? I'm feeling a little melancholy right now. A little sad, a little concerned about the nation, about my neighborhood, about my state. I'm my own rival. A lot of it right now is all about survival. I'm hoping I can keep a roof over my head and food on the plate. There's a lot of prospects laid out on the table. I hope I'm not too late. I'm trying to get my love life together, you know, I'm trying to think about that, you know. And the one thing that has happened to me every day since COVID is I check in with my neighbor and I thought I was helping him, um, but I have found that he completely motivates and inspires me and we help each other on a daily basis we look out for each other like good neighbors do planting as well uh planting some bell peppers right now and some succulent plants which is cool i've never planted succulents so i'm just like seeing where this goes have a glass of wine Chardonnay, uh, Savion Block, or Shannon Block. I make a lot of pasta. I made an apple pie for the first time and it came out delicious. I shared it with my neighbor. One thing I do every day is walk. I go for a walk in the morning uh, with my dogs, uh, Lady and Lola, and um, we, sometimes we go to the park and sometimes we must walk down the street and we try to get some fresh air and try to radiate some happiness to people I'm passing who are on their way to work. We watch all of them protesting. It's worthwhile. Some advice I received just today was to focus on myself and 
what I wanted to accomplish and not burn myself out trying to help others. Do not let the insecurities of others define who you are. I'm worthy of patient things. I'm worthy of um, taking caution um, towards uh, bringing certain things in my life. So that's something that I've just generalized towards a lot of things that I've been dealing with and going through. Um, Somebody told me, uh, you don't need a mask. I'm like, yeah, all right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I did not listen to that. I'm looking forward to meditating and talking with God, Jesus Christ. I just want to raise my son and earn some honest funds. I work out, I blend my fruit moss shakes and pray. Any meal I have, I'm grateful for. I thank God for the food that's on my table. And um, I look forward to breaking bread with all of my friends. I want to have Thanksgiving meals like every month with people just to, you know, just to, just to listen to them talk. And if they eat with their mouths full, I'm just going to look at them and smile. And the three books that I'm currently reading are... The first one is a book called The Purpose and Power of Love Marriage by Miles Monroe. Dimensions of the Mind, which is a reread, a book I read in 1980, around 1981, which is probably one of the greatest books I ever read. A lot of stuff online, a lot of theater online. I saw King Lear with James Earl Jones and this amazing cast. I'm not reading. I really can't concentrate. This is ushering in a golden age of the arts, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll have the political climate to go along with it. And the one thing that I am not accepting um, or that I'm rejecting is negative, negativity, um, negativity in the world. I am embracing personal and professional growth in every area. I am embracing black people right now. I am, I'm embracing um, just the the narratives of being black and how beautiful those like different narratives are and that we have so many stories and they're all black. And I'm not accepting um, of all the information that's been given to um, the black community as far as why we were concentrated during the pandemic. And yes, I did take part in the protests and supporting the protesters and you know the riots and everything that happened i think it needed to happen so people could know how real it was i really like uh charlie parker and um dizzy they play a couple of things together i have a cd with all the jazz jazz legends on it the name of the cd is out of nowhere People need to understand that, you know, send in the creatives when you want to be comforted, you know. I am accepting um, a new reality that I am in the midst of creating and that my vision is wonderful and life will never be normal again, but it will definitely be better. So a word of encouragement. The advice I would give anyone else in the world is don't let the world beat you down because there are spirits in this world whose job is to do that. And there's something, there's a reason why you're here. You wouldn't be here. So please hold on to your dreams, your gifts, your life. Think about how we can all change, be positive, 
be kind and peaceful. We must embrace the present and look forward to the future. Invest in yourself in any small or big way and that you're worthy of investing into. Do not let your present determine how far you can go in the future. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for checking in. Now how's that? How's that? How's that? How's that? How's that? How's that for a check-in? <laughs> My name is and I am a seven-year-old. I'm in second grade and that when I grow up, I wanted to be a police officer to change the world and stop how it is. Was an artist? I think so. <laughs> I was always like creating. For a long time I was creating. Sometimes I felt like I, maybe I needed to do something else. Only because when I was doing creative things I was like okay well now I need to find a way to pay these bills. I was always interrupted and I would jump back because I used to design and I would get put on my designer hat and I would just do that and like you know I was like going back and forth and I wasn't like recently more you know, like, and put an importance on focusing only on that. I always knew I could create, and you can, like, draw well, and I had a feeling of inspiration a lot, because there was a lot of times where I felt like I even held myself back. And in the end, you kind of had to really make it a point to push that aside and pursue what you have to do, and this is what I felt like there was a switch. It hasn't even been that long, I would say five, six years, where I'm just like, this is what it has to be. I was always an artist, but I recently gave myself true permission to be actually an artist. So when exactly I felt that I was an artist, always. When I actually was an artist, when I gave myself permission to be. I'm an artist. I'm doing these large African heads right now. I'm a sculptor primarily. My media for these public pieces, concrete. It is important for me to create because, you know, the creation is already there. I'm just sort of picking it up and like letting it flow out because like ideas, inspirations, they're there. And instead of just sitting on it, you know, that could be a little bit like disturbing the flow. So I just get out there, work on it.
my process usually for these public pieces is the idea is there and I like sketch out what I want, how I want the pieces to be uh, seen 360 all the way around. So I create a little tiny model which is about 10, 12 inches. You know, look at the piece in the, in the light, see how it would work and see how it would uh, exist in the actual site that I'm actually going to install. I take the models out to the site and actually kind of work out little aspects of um, the construction or whatever. Then I eventually build a larger model and take all the measurements and figure out how I'm going to build it in a large. So, so far with these larger pieces, I kind of have to do that to work out the amount of materials I would need to finish the actual piece. Basically, from little to large. This is the, a large final model. Underneath that plaster is the clay that I modeled. Life-size clay model. And then I cover it with the material to take an impression of the negative impression. And then I fill that with concrete. So that filled con concrete is the final piece, one of them. I have to do that three times to get the final piece. I have to also build in like structure like so that it can survive impact. So there's going to be rebar embedded into it and your steel access and things like that. So far every year I make my work and, and also at this scale. That is itself is just great. It's a blessing to be able to make my work. And it takes a lot to, to make something, like a lot of parts, a lot of steps, and to actually get that to happen, it's just, there's a lot to observe while doing it so that the next time it can be like, you know, even that much more smooth. Park. We're installing Adorn Me in the rain. This is the challenge that we're having right now. There's a few pieces that need to connect together to actually have the piece erected, but at the same time, like the rain is like causing a little bit of a stop and go. This is really great to see the piece up to where it is right now. There's one more head that needs to be installed. It's kind of exciting to see it like this process. It's always a little bit of something interesting that happens. This is the fun part, too. <laughs> it's not permanent. I think we're excited, excited to see the end of this process. It's been a long trip. I'm trying not to say it's a journey, but it's been a journey. <laughs> and then I did sketches, did a small model, did a larger model, and figured out where exactly in the park I wanted it. And this is, this is where it landed. And it's almost there, look. <laughs> Weekend weather with Griffin. Weekend weather with Griffin. Hey everyone, it's Junior Meteorologist Griff City talking about the weekend weather. Your city, Brooklyn, USA. Friday, high 84, low 69. Type of weather will be cloudy that day. Saturday, high 87, low 74, it will be sunny. Sunday, high 84, low 71, 
it will be cloudy. Weekly fun fact. Did you know that if you lift a kangaroo's tail off the ground, it can't hop? Thank you for listening. Brooklyn! And have a good weekend. Brooklyn USA is produced by me, Sasha Mathias. And me, Emily Bogosian. And me, Shirin Barry. And me, Charlie Hoxie. And me, Carol Palmer. And me, Mayumi Sato. With help this week from Kishe Lan Cole, Jada Dantzler, Saul Nova, Jessica Sucher, BJ Evans, Brick Radio Junior Meteorologist Griff City, Susie Kim, Nathan Fitch, Lauren Germain, Taylor Cook, Jay Kaz, Nicholas Wajenko, Heather Day, Rasan Johnson, Soraya Palmer, Baba Israel, and Naji Omar. Thank you again to all of the artists who contributed work to this episode, including Lorelai Ramirez, John Henry, Jordan Lloyd, Tendai Kumba, Greg Purnell, and Una Aya Osato. And thank you to all the brave youth who got up to speak at the Children's Protest for Equality last month on the steps of the Brooklyn Museum, and to everyone who contributed their voice to this episode, including Amira Roche, Ife Ayare, Josiah Mathias Pompey, Kenneth Pishan, Michael Oziegbe, Janai Lachey, Diamond Smith, Kadada Becco, Angie Vasquez, Jade Tony Collins, Avery Skittles Higgins, Zelani Brunson, Portia Clark, Desiree Rucker, Squala Orphan, Katriana Ivan, and Sukenya Suki Fairweather. If you like what you hear, comment, like, share, and subscribe, and follow at Brick TV on Twitter and Instagram for updates. And while you're there, follow at Brick Brooklyn for updates on all the arts, music, and cultural programming that we're presenting on Brick at Home. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio.